ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I hope I may say comrades and friends, before your minds, I exempt myself from the speaker's kind offer of protection that was uh, so generously proffered at the opening of this evening. Anyone who wants to say anything abusive about or to me is quite free to do so, and welcome, in fact, at their own risk. It's not just the right of the person who speaks to be heard. It is the right of everyone in the audience to listen and to hear. And every time you silence somebody, you make yourself a prisoner of your own action because you deny yourself the right to hear something. In other words, your own right to hear and be exposed is as much involved in all these cases as is the right of the other to voice his or her view. Indeed, as John Stuart Mill said, if all in society were agreed on the truth and beauty and value of one proposition, all except one person, it would be most important, in fact, it would become even more important that that one heretic be heard because we would still benefit from his perhaps outrageous or appalling view. In more modern times, this has been put, I think, best by a personal heroine of mine, Rosa Luxemburg, who said that the freedom of speech is meaningless unless it means the freedom of the person who thinks differently. Um, my great friend John O'Sullivan, former editor of the National Review, and my, I think probably my most conservative and reactionary Catholic friend, once said, uh, it's a tiny thought experiment, he says, if you hear the Pope saying he believes in God, you think, well, the Pope's doing his job again today. If you hear the Pope saying he's really begun to doubt the existence of God, you begin to think he might be onto something. Well, if everybody in North America is forced to attend at school, uh, training in sensitivity on Holocaust awareness and is taught to study the final solution about which nothing was actually done, by this country or North America or the United Kingdom while it was going on, but as, let's say as if in compensation for that, everyone's made to swallow an official and unalterable story of it now, and it's taught as the great moral exemplar, the moral equivalent of the morally lacking elements of the Second World War, the way of stilling our uneasy conscience about that combat. If that's the case with everybody, as it more or less is, and one person gets up and says, you know about this Holocaust, I'm not sure it even happened. In fact, I'm pretty certain it didn't. Indeed, I begin to wonder if the only thing is that the Jews brought a little bit of violence on themselves. That person doesn't just have a right to speak. That person's right to speak must be given extra protection because what he has to say must have taken him some effort to come up with, might be, might contain a grain of historical truth, um, might in any case give people to think about why do they know what they already think they know? How do I know that I know this except that I've always been taught this and never heard anything else? It's always worth establishing first principles. It's always worth saying, what would you do if you met a Flat Earth Society member? Come to think of it, how can I prove the Earth is round? Am I sure about the theory of evolution? I know it's supposed to be true. Here's someone who says there's no such thing. It's all intelligent design. How sure am I of, of my own views? Don't take refuge in the false security of consensus and the feeling that whatever you think, you're bound to be okay because you're in the safely moral majority. My own opinion is enough for me, and I claim the right to have it defended against any consensus, any majority, anywhere, any place, any time. And anyone who disagrees with this, 
can pick a number, get online, and kiss my ass. <laughs> And I can't find a second usually when I propose, but I don't care. I don't need a second. My own opinion is enough for me, and I claim the right to have it defended against any consensus, any majority, anywhere, any place, any time. And anyone who disagrees with this can pick a number, get online, and kiss my ass. The representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other lawyers. You found the Backstory Podcast. I'm Harry Steele. Backwoods Southern Lawyer. I have my partners with me today. My client, Paul Rip. How are things in uh, Fairhope, Mr. Rip? Well, it's raining right now and uh, didn't get Freaky Friday out because we were working on it a little bit late. It's going to go out today. It's stormy Saturday, so don't uh, uh, be sure to watch the Rip report. It'll be out today and it's involving the uh, straw man, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. And uh, how's the captain doing out there in, in Houston? How you doing, Ryan? Well, I'm, uh, I'm mad to uh, not vomit. That's always... Uh, That's pretty much where captain. the bar is right now. I understand. All right, so uh, I understand you've been protesting some. I have. Uh, twice this week, uh, plan to go again next week, um, walking with the Black Lives Matter protesters and, um, putting my, putting my, uh, putting my words into action, not just, uh, talking the talk, but actually walking the walk. Well, we'll, we'll get back to that in a second. I want to talk about a, uh, a, a great loss for the Auburn family, um, coach Pat Dye this week um yeah uh just a quality man i i really don't know what to say about him other than you know he was a he was a gentleman and he was certainly a scholar of the game of football um and an honest man above all else a good honest man so we'll miss you coach yeah i've got i got nothing bad to say about uh about pat die i'm not a not an Auburn fan. I'm actually, for most of my life, was raised to be a Ginnem as an Alabama fan. But I got to say, uh, Pat Dye was a class act. Always. I've never heard. I've never heard anything bad about the man. Yeah, he had, he had nothing but my respect. So, Paul. Yeah. Your your little video uh, trip to the uh, Fairhope City Council the other night has like a uh, fifteen hundred views so far. Fifteen hundred. Yeah. Try seven thousand eight hundred and fifty. That, that's on Facebook. I'm talking about just on our YouTube site. Oh yeah, the thing went viral, and uh, that that video, and then also there's a uh, new um, Facebook site in uh, Fairhope that's called Fairhope Always, and you can go to Fairhope Always and see the tape of. Uh, Paula Denardi knocked off the bar stool in Technicolor. And then you can get a real clear view of just how close she came to uh, breaking her neck. Uh, so that our video is right under that with the city council. And um, 
Also, like to give a shout out to Fairhope. Now they ran it. They're not, they try to stay a lot out of politics, but I think this was a little bit too sensitive for them to see how the mayor was treated and how those guys acted and everything. And I take my hat off to you, uh, Harry, for helping uh, put that whole thing together. It's really resonated among town. Well, so let's talk COVID numbers just briefly since nobody's paying attention to it. I don't know why we'd waste our breath. Um, 18,150 cases in Alabama. It's like uh, Baldwin County knocking on the door 300. Very lucky. Very, nobody, very, very lucky. Nobody seems to care. So we'll move on from that to some, to, I guess what people consider real news. Uh, we got a tropical storm watch in effect, and I think it's going to be a, hurricane right when it hits uh new orleans sunday morning i think they're saying a one maybe yeah and of course we're on the bad side so it's started raining now and mr rip you you know it's gonna rain for at least five days till that thing gets decides to blow on through and and the track that they have there is way out so that thing can wiggle just a little bit and come right over the top of it so holding our breath till we see where it goes. Uh, and you're right. We're going to get the rain side of it for sure. So do you remember old John Ed Thompson that was on the TV forever? He was a weatherman in Mobile. Yeah. On WKRG. Absolutely. I, so I, I, he's still alive. Cause he was selling, uh, he was on an ad for a uh, hearing aids the other day. And I said, man, I said, at least I know I'll have one companion, uh, down there where it's real hot fire and brimstone and all. Because I remember when I was a little kid, John Ann Thompson got on <laughs> got on TV and said Hurricane Frederick was headed for Texas. And that summit came right straight up Mobile Bay and destroyed this place. Anyway, he's still kicking. Yeah, well, uh, if it hits Sunday <laughs> night, if it hits Sunday night, you can count on the local radio, I mean, TV stations, preempting 60 minutes and everything else to say the same damn thing 25 times. All right. I don't, think, started on that. I, don't think it, I don't think it's going to get to a hurricane. I think it's going to stay a tropical storm. Yeah, I, I'm hoping it's going to be a big mess. Yeah, it is. Um. So so let's talk about the uh, the death of George Floyd. Um, we haven't talked about it on the podcast. I've tweeted about it. Reigns just talked about it on on his Friday night fiasco. Um, is it safe to say that we all agree we saw a man murdered? I don't know what else you would call it. Okay, Absolutely. so so so, Reigns, I'm gonna I'm gonna break it down for you like I did for, and there's Paul's phone. I'm sorry, I can't talk. Sorry about that, man. Sorry. <laughs> I, so, uh, let me collect my thought. Um, no, I'm on the Sorry, I didn't even know that phone was in here. Paul's Beetlebug phone went off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Beetlebug phone. So, well, anyway, we all agree that it was murder, correct? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, and let me explain it to all the Karens out there so they will get mad too. If that was a white tourist from Alabama and we were watching a movie of a Chinese cop stand on put his knee on her neck until she died we would burn that country to the ground don't you agree 
I mean, there would be so yeah. much public outrage. I mean, they'd start fueling jets and people start signing up for the army and shit, right? Yeah. That's the kind of outrage that 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 people that everyone needs to have when they see a video like that. They don't need they don't need well, that's that's not me or anybody that looks like me. Hell no. That's an American. And they were killed with people standing there screaming at them to stop. I feel and it's uh, outrageous. I do have I do have a little bit of sympathy for the two rookie cops. They uh, both voiced some opposition to what he was doing, and now I understand it more. They were really rookies. One of them had only been there like three weeks or something, and the other one was like Johnny, almost like the same that. thing. And so, yeah. and and I couldn't understand why he was on them with the other two, but now I see what was happening. Is he was their instructor? He was telling yeah. them what to do. I mean, he, yeah, he was, was the so so. They can only, you know, they can oppose him. But I mean, you you reach a point to where he's the one in charge, you know, and so, that and his bad actions are uh, what got them involved is very unfortunate. But I do sympathize that, you know, they tried to do something. You know what I mean? What what extent could you expect? Well, they'll them have to their day in court to explain all that, Paul. That's, That's exactly right. where they'll need to explain it. Not That's on the right. five o'clock news. They'll get their day in court, and rightly so. So, and the one thing that got me the most, the thing, yeah, the thing that got me the most was that the uh, Floyd was handcuffed. I mean, my God, they did that to him, and the man was handcuffed. So, so Paul, and and this you know, you said that is in Pensacola, Florida. And they didn't go stake out a park and cause a bunch of destruction or anything else. They took a graffiti overpass and they made it a focal point in the community. And they included a quote by Thomas Jefferson, which I thought was perfect. This is how you protest. Yeah. Right. Well, and I'd like to give all, a shout and, out and, to. And so, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I'd like to give a, I don't know the group. But it was like Friday and it was raining. And at Fairhope in 98, there had to be at least 15 or 20 people holding up signs, Black Lives Matter. And it was raining and windy and they were all out there. And uh, that really, really made me feel proud that uh, uh, to see that. And, and it was uh, predominantly... Uh, uh, white people that were involved in the protest, which I've noticed in all of these uh, uh, protests that we're looking at, unlike the civil rights thing where you just have a sprinkling of white, now some of the crowds are predominantly white. And that makes me really feel like maybe we're, you know, turning a little bit of a corner here. So, Reigns, I want to talk to you about something because one of the things that we're going to talk about today is the co-option of the good old boy system by the Catalyst Bunch, okay? Okay. So today, because there's a hurricane coming, what do you do when when hurricanes coming, Paul? You're a military man. Flag down outside, right? So right. I go to take my flag down, and I see that my pole's about rotted in half, and the dang pole, the it's, it's over here behind me, and it's just tattered and worn or whatever. So 
I went to the hardware store this morning to get a new flag and, and I'll get this to the boy scout so they can destroy it or whatever. And so while I was there, I'm looking around and you know, it's in the South. So they've got a, they had a flag that's been co-opted a flag of the revolution that was co-opted by the tea party. Kind of like how uh, the Ku Klux Klan co-opted the Confederate battle flag and made it a symbol of racism. I think this is the perfect flag for this movement. Don't you, Reigns? It don't says, don't tread on, don't tread on me. Uh, I like the one better that was like, doesn't that have a link to Arizona somehow, Reigns? Uh, no, actually, the, the Don't Tread on Me flag is from uh, Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. Okay. 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 So, 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 so that's what I'm getting at. I mean, so, so I, I think that they should reclaim this symbol of the revolution. And I, I say they, I mean we. Because on point again, Reigns, uh, several months ago, there was a shooting in NAS Pensacola. And you said, oh, shit, it's some guy, it's over a woman or a gambling debt or whatever. Well, guess what? It was Al-Qaeda. And it happened, and they infiltrated one of the, the cradle of naval aviation. They're there as a student, okay? At the same time, I've traded away all my privacy for security in what reigns? What what's our big beef? Uh, roll back the Patriot Act. Patriot Act. It is ridiculous. You're telling me some guy, some guy that's been all over social media telling everybody what he's gonna do, and uh, he he ends up shooting several American uh, service members uh, twenty miles from my house. Well, I, I, you know, I'll say this because it's absolutely and completely true. I ain't always right, but I'm seldom wrong. And you're right about that. And and, and we're and we're right about that. I agree. We're right about it. So anyway, I picked up a new flag while I was there. I also got a. I also got the stars and stripes. We'll be flying that too. But um, I have. I am not a member of the Tea Party. Sure. I would never have owned one of these flags before. Um, I, I, you know, it's a co-option of a symbol and I don't appreciate it. And I wish this movement would, would adopt it. And some people would start carrying it. I think it's a good idea. All right, let's, uh, let's get on with it. And let me, and, and let me explain a little bit about why I have a problem with what's going on right now. And I'm not the only, only person with this problem. You guys seeing this? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, the photo op. So the president sends a bunch of federal agents out to clear people with tear gas so he can walk over to a church for a photo op. Now, what he didn't expect was uh, General Mattis, his former defense secretary, who um, he touted as mad dog Maddox and what a badass he was. Of course, now... Um, his tweet was, the only thing that President Obama and I have in common is that we both had the pleasure of firing Mad Dog Maddox. What a joke. I don't know if you yeah, have, well, look have, on have seen what he the uh, article that he penned for The Atlantic, but it is scathing, and it is right on point, and this guy just doesn't get it. 
I mean, escalation is the wrong right. thing to do. This protest I went to yesterday was very religious in nature. I, uh, there, there was very little outrage at, at the uh, at the at the rally that I went to yesterday. Yeah. And when Same. you have great Americans coming out of the woodwork against you, chances are a hundred of them aren't wrong. So. Well, let's talk a little bit about history in our podcast real quick. So, who are our heroes? Who's talked about the Constitution of the state of Alabama being the problem? Who's talked about Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, Everybody's Lives Matter? We've talked about misinformation and fake news. We've talked about the co-option of the judicial system. I guess, I would you say military-industrial complex reigns? I mean, in 2001, we didn't, you know, prior to the war on terror, I don't think anybody saw everybody that put on a badge every day as some kind of hero. But we've been sold that, and so we've equipped them as such. And um, I, I hate to misquote, but, um, you know, the, the police department is there to protect and serve the military is there to fight the enemy, and when you put the military in the role of the police, the, your your citizenry quickly becomes the enemy. Yeah, never never meant to be that because it's I it's never meant to be that way. We have laws that and Range and I, you and I have discussed the Posse Comitatus Act. Absolutely, for hours and hours and hours. And there's a reason that it's there. And, I, you know, I, I think I think we, we are one of the very few podcasts who, who can say we were ahead of the curve on this. We've been talking about this. And if you'll yep. remember, I went to the Baymanette City Council meeting in October, and I asked them, do you have a let – me, let me – I wrote it down – a public safety committee, subcommittee of the city council because – they had been harassing black clients of mine, and I wanted to. I didn't want to address the council right there in the council meeting. I wanted to address them in a less formal setting where I could just kind of lay it all out for them. And um, they all systematic. I went one council member to the next, and all the way to the city attorney, and he said that he had been instructed not to answer any of my questions. So then the next week, Paul Rip showed up and gave it to him in writing, and they wrote us back, and the answer was no. And about that time, they evicted me from my office, and uh, you know, that devolved into they just didn't like us and didn't want us in their building. Well, the podcasts uh, are all recorded, and we've covered some very, very good stuff, which we now can go back on because a lot of these things we were predicting and alleging, and now they're coming true. Yeah. So, Range, this is a picture that was on that was put on Facebook. That is our district attorney, uh, Robert Wilters, uh, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, human skin tag, um, our chief of police, Al Tolbert, and uh, Mayor Robert Wills. And you see here the Bonham County Sheriff's Office tweeted, as many of you may have heard, there was a March rally scheduled to be held at the courthouse in Baymanette on Wednesday. 
Today, Chief Tolder and I met with the organizers and mutually agreed to cancel the event and work towards a community event at a later date. So I guess that was the event that happened, not at the courthouse, but over at Blackburn Park. Yeah. Which was totally surrounded by law enforcement, by the way. Of and, course it is. And police and fire, I mean, and the fire department. But uh, somebody else put this on Facebook, and so I... Well, this is a pretty... Uh, yeah, well, keep, be sure to keep that photograph, because that photograph's very telling. And uh, we know that out of the four so we people little, there... We got a little catalyst action. Yeah, three of them represent uh, Catalyst, and uh, Mr. Sessions showing up in support of them is probably going to cost Mr. Sessions some um, votes because uh, people around here just do not want to be associated with catalysts. They're trying to weed these people out. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And, you know, what did this have to do with the demonstration or Black Lives Matter? This is a photo op that has nothing to do with that. At a, at a point in time when the last thing we want to show people is that we're supporting the old guard. You know, this guy was U.S. attorney, like I said, for a dozen years down here. And then he was in the Senate for 23. You telling me he doesn't know all this stuff that we've been talking about going on down here, Paul Rip? I know he knows because I'm sending him letters in reference to it. We're on a podcast. We're writing on two blog sites. We're being picked up. Uh, Lanyap is writing about it. And yet you did don't hear one single word uh, from them. So this is a picture of the rally that I went to yesterday. All right, Paul. Oh, okay. I got, I got one more uh, thing. I want to uh, share real quick. Go to the Warner and, uh, thing too. Yeah. Um, so. Does everybody, so I have a reform measure this, that will help everyone, okay? Um, we, on this podcast, talked about qualified immunity, that it is a uh, judicially created uh, immunity that is granted to public officials when they're conducting uh, their official business. Um, so there are some places in the country that have this qualified and constitutional constitutional immunity and they have they have reformed in spite of themselves so what they've done is they've relegated the sheriff um to a glorified jailer position he also uh, does process service or whatever and um <laughs> everybody remember the dc sniper case of course chief moose so yeah. chief moose was the rockville county maryland chief of police not the sheriff, the chief, they have a, they have a professional police force that enforces the law in that County and the sheriff runs the jail. So, uh, give me one second. We'll, we'll watch him. Calls in the area with regards to shootings, shots fired, people that may have heard something. Uh, they're all been responded to by the police. And I, I want to stress that none of them have been found to be related to the shootings. But we. All right. I just wanted everybody to see that I'm not talking out of my rear end, that this is this is th these reforms have happened in other places and they need to continue around here. 
Right. And just one more, Paul, and I'll let you do your rip report. And we do begin with breaking news in downtown Mobile this morning. The Confederate monument honoring Admiral Raphael Sims has been taken down overnight. Mobile city officials confirming that the city took the statue down. This comes days after a man was arrested for vandalizing the statue. News 5's Nicolette Schleisman is live there in downtown Mobile with details. Good morning, Nicolette. Good morning, Jessica. Yeah, the city has confirmed that they removed this statue overnight. The plaque's also gone. I'm going to step out of the way so you can see just the pedestal is left of this uh, monument for Confederate Admiral Raphael Sims. The statue has stood. All right. So does everybody know who Raphael Sims was? Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, Admiral, Admiral Sims was the captain of two separate ships the most famous was the CSS Alabama right and uh, he, he boarded and scuttled 400 ships and never killed anybody mm-hmm. and his mo- the, so uh, anyway they they still uh, uh, Navy War College you learn about Raphael Sims um, one of the most famous battles of the Civil War actually happened at a port in France where he had gone with the Alabama to have it repaired. The the Union ship shows up and of course the French don't want a big shootout in their port. So they're going, you you know, you can't come into our port. So Sim sends a message to the uh commander of the US ship and says, um, hey man, my ship will be ready on Friday. I'll come out and kick your ass in. So everybody yeah. in France comes to the port to watch this big navy. <laughs> anyway really interesting guy and um he is a historical figure regardless of who he fought for people he's a a guy from here he's somebody we you know people they're still learning about it his tactics at naval war college it's not a symbol to racism of of racism to to me nor is it a symbol of the confederacy all right well I'll, i'll i'll cut it off right here and tell you this if he was that important understand he's that historic understand I'm sure that the city fathers or the county fathers if he was that important they'll put together enough money to erect a new statue or he'll just pass into the pages of history without a monument well and, and because because of who he fought for we shouldn't care about what he did I, I bet they still learn about him at the Naval War College Oh, absolutely. It's one thing to learn about somebody. We, we learn about all the Confederate, some of the Confederate generals who were absolutely tactical and strategic masterminds, but uh, we're not going to celebrate the losing side. I, one of my favorite books is uh, Panzer General about uh, General Heinz Guderian, who was a German armor officer during the Second World War and basically invented modern armored warfare. But uh, ain't no statues to Heinz Guderian. Heinz uh, Guderian anywhere. He was in Tom Clancy's book on tank warfare also that I read. Yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't even a, a, a high-ranking member of the Nazi party, but there's no statues to him. There's no pictures of him. There's no busts of him anywhere, uh, you know, because he was on the wrong side of that thing. So that's why. I, and, I and, I can underst- and I can understand that, but I'm just saying it, it's not like he was General Sherman or somebody that, you know what I mean. Well, I mean, earned his way through the other side, killing men, women, and children. 
Generals are generals, man. Right. All right, Paul. Rip, report me, man. Come on. Well, what about the uh, – you got that Warner uh, spot? All right. Uh, Give me one second. All right. Uh, a minute. You want to do something this afternoon a little bit different? Uh, uh, Chris Warner will be at Page and Pallet. He'll be signing the Tailgater's Guide, and uh, that's being updated as well. So there's a new edition coming out very soon. But he'll be there tonight at 5 till about uh, 5 on, I believe. And you can go to the RIP report and get some more details. But are you uh, football here's your fans? Here's the RIP report page, Paul. Yeah, yeah, we can go to the RIP report page, and it'll take you to it. You'll find find it uh, very interesting. That's not the only book that he wrote. He wrote a couple about uh, Richard Scrushy and then he wrote a series down there about Floribama, which uh, is really good. So uh, go to his website and you can find out the uh, different books that uh, he has written. Some of them about uh, so Paul, I, got, uh, I got Warner's books over here with the history of Bowen County and the Boy Scout handbook. That's They're in the same pile. Um, Saved at the Alabama Florida line, and they met at the Alabama Florida line. Yeah, those are those are great short reads. You start reading them, you can't set them down. And uh, there seems to be a lot of similarities to the area, if you know what I mean. So, uh, the only other thing I want to mention uh, before we get into these other topics is uh, we're fast approaching July fourteenth, which is going to be the uh, run off for the congressional seat and please be sure to put down that day to vote for Jerry Carl. The last thing we want to do is uh, vote for any catalyst candidates and uh, Jerry Carl's definitely not catalyst and we need to show that Fairhope and Baldwin is beginning to recognize uh, just how dangerous this catalyst group is. Uh, that's it on the small stuff, Harry. We can go on to uh, one of the other topics if you want. Uh, the next one is, I guess, people with uh, reading my favorite magazine around here for news, Lanyap, the recent article, June 3rd, Sheriff Restricts Communications of Attorney in Baldwin County Courthouse. Uh, this was written by Gabe Times. And what do you know? The attorney Terry still took away his. Uh, <laughs> first of all, uh, I believe the sheriff heard one of our podcasts and didn't like it and took away Mr. Steele's uh, uh, pass. And then it seems then he got it back. And then he had trouble with the office that he was in and had to move his office during all this time. Uh, then he finally gets it back, and uh, lo and behold, we do another podcast you think we'd learn. <laughs> <laughs> and that was podcast number 38, unless you want to, if you want to go back, and the first one was podcast number two. And uh, so they took away uh, Mr. Stills' uh, security pass again. Uh, now, this is uh, the second time. 
So as a result of that being backed in the corner, Mr. Still felt like he didn't have uh, any other choice, uh, especially after the writ of mandamus. I believe that's what uh, uh, Mr. Mack didn't have any sense of humor about. And um, so now a complaint's been filed with the Ethics Commission. And lo and behold, guess what happened almost immediately is that we get a letter from the office of the sheriff that reads, this is June 4th. Mr. Still, this letter, sir, if you notice that your attorney privilege of entering the courthouse and Bayman at Fairhope and Foley are reinstated. You may have cell phones and computers. This is related to the actions May 22nd at Baymanac Courthouse. All other standard restrictions remain in place, such as no weapons and no recordings, like, you know, needed to be reminded of that. But this is uh, a real good example of a lack of transparency. If a podcast or a blog site can have constructive criticism with documents, and we put that out there about the sheriff, and we can expect almost immediate retaliation, that is not the way things go. That's not the way it's supposed to work, folks. And uh, last thing we want, the sheriff uh, actually uh, in this county has an immense amount of pressure, I mean, uh, uh, power. And some of that needs to be uh, curtailed. He needs to re be reminded he is a public servant and a police officer first. Uh, it's often joked that if you want Sheriff Bank to show up, just let him know there's a camera there. So anyway, uh, we'll see what happens now. Now that I've said all that, maybe he'll take away my security pass, which I do not have. <laughs> so, so you want to go on to the uh, next one here, the, the straw man? The takedown sounds like yeah, a good one to me. The backstory podcast, Turkey yeah. Takedown. The straw man. Well, the straw man, the straw man, ladies and gentlemen, is right there to your very right. Mr. Tucker Dorsey is the one that put this thing together. And uh, this uh, all goes back to uh, Baldwin County sewer. And Mr. Dorsey, from the time that he was elected, from the time that he was elected, two weeks before, he was already lying to the public about all of this. And now that's all coming out. And this involves a sale of land where uh, Mr. Bass was uh, tricked into paying 100% of the property. And there was a straw man. The sale involved the creation of a straw company using the name of Wayne Hopper, a former college roommate of former Baldwin County Commissioner Tucker Dorsey. Dorsey worked for Burke at the time and the creation of the straw company predates his election to public office. Hopper was indicted and paid $1,000 for his participation. Now, this case is continuously gaining ground. Uh, the next, uh, now the straw man series in Lanyap is a series. You can go and you can read all of these articles. The, one of the last ones now that, that 
was one of the very first articles that I'm quoting from there. So, Paul, I want to interrupt you for a second, okay? I want to sure, clarification sure. real quick. I just quick little bullet points. So, sure, Mr. Bass sold his sewer plant to Mr. Burke, and a few years later, Mr. Burke came back to Mr. Bass and said, "We have an investment opportunity for you. We'd like for you to put up half the money." for this property in Magnolia Springs, where we're going to build a new sewage treatment plant, right? Your half is 2.4 mm -hmm. million. He transfers the money to the title company. <clears throat> the people that own the property show up and they close. They have a closing at 11 o'clock that morning. This other joker, Dorsey's buddy that he created the straw company with has a closing at 11 o'clock. Mr. Bass, Burke, and Delaney then show up for a second closing with a fake HUD that says they're closing for $4.8 million. How can that not be fraud? How do you get around? Okay, so, 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 so that's just the beginning. So Mr. Bass um, became, uh, I don't know, I think he had... He, I don't want to speculate on his medical condition, but he was getting older and harder for him to remember things. And so, uh, as, as I understand it, his wife took the books to an accountant and the accountant said, well, Hey, you, somebody here owes you $2.4 million. Let's get to looking into that. So they get to looking into it. And it turns out not only did they pay for the entirety of the property, these jokers, the pin star group, and Wolf Creek LLC and all these other people involved in this thing have cross collateralized this thing to the tune of about 5 million bucks, this piece of property that by the way, they never even applied for a permit with the state. Of right. It was like a scam from the very beginning. Right. It was all about getting their hands on his money or, or at least right. that's the allegation that they made in the complaint. Let me be sure to predicate that on we're going on what right. we read in the complaint and people's testimony and actually go into the courtroom, which I did not see not one member of law enforcement in there, not one time during that trial. So then after he's made all the decisions, Judge Norton decides that this is not a fraud case. It's a simple partition case. Mr. Bass only owns this percentage of the property and the rest of them on the other part and they have to settle up with him. So he made that decision. And then after making that decision, he says, Oh, I have a conflict after hearing the case for five years or 2014 to 19 is five years. Yeah. And so yeah. then they filed these judicial yeah. inquiry commission complaints. And then they go in here and put all this stuff together in their GIC complaint which now there's a new lawsuit and do you have the, uh, I don't have my copy of the land app. I think I gave it to you, Paul. Have that yes, article I, about Peloton. Correct. But one thing, let me, uh, go back and, uh, inject to Harry is that, okay, Mr. Bass invested this 2.4 million. I mean, 4.2, wasn't it? Uh, 2.4. And that was all the money that changed hands that day at the title company. Period. Correct. Correct. So, He's buying a hundred percent of it. Now they're in court and what 
Alabama capital and that's Burke not exactly true. Where their percentage comes in is they paid for the option to buy it. They did have that in hand. They, they, uh, they paid for they paid, paid for, for the option. Yeah, but they want fit. They want fifty percent of what it right, sells. He paid for, for all the property. They paid for the option. That that's yeah, where their Bass, comes in. Bass invested all this money. He had a three hundred thousand dollar kicker. But now they stand to lose $1.7 million in this whole deal. Now, when you go to the uh, go to your uh, article there, Harry, on, with the graph, the spider graph. <clears throat> now, the people in the know that have been here for a long time will understand this a lot more than some. But the one, one thing that was the kicker to me on this uh, and those of you that might have watched the video that we were talking about at the city council meeting when Councilman Boone went kind of ballistic towards the end of the meeting, Councilman Boone is the father of uh, Scott Boone, who is the head of Catalyst. So when you look at this spider graph, and this is what sent Mr. Boone off, was I mentioned the straw man case and how it now was involving someone on the council. And you can look on the graph and you see Kevin Boone, Olivia Avant, uh, Tucker Dorsey, and Scott Boone, and John Avant. All connected to each other. All connected to each other now before Mr. Boone was elected to office. And Preble Rich was the engineering company at the time that was getting almost every engineering issue. You'd go to planning, planning and zoning, and Preble Rich would have 10 things in a row. And they're sitting there voting on it when they have LLCs involving Mr. Avant, Olivia Avant, Kevin Boone tied to Scott Boone. This is exactly what we said was going on. Now, this is related to the uh, updated complaint. So if you wanted to read the updated complaint, which I can assure you will sear your ears, that will be on the RIP report being posted anytime uh, this morning, right now. The, my computer guy is working on it. As soon as he can get it out, he will. Now, this is the straw man case. Okay, and these are the people related to the Strand case. And the more I look at this graph, there's only one name missing that I can see. First of all, I'd like to compliment uh, <coughs> uh, Boots Bass, the uh, wife of Mr. Bass and their daughter Karen, for an immense amount of uh, research to put all of this together. But in the conflict of interest article, again, this was Lanyap uh, by Gabe Times. And, I, and, you know, like I said, you can go to lanyap.com and read all of the articles. But in that conflict of interest case, which is a five-year fraud case, in September, Norton, this is what you were talking about, Norton recused from a separate year-old fraud case in which his former law partner, Brian Britt, that's the name missing here, was representing the defendant. 
Norton's statement of economic re uh, interest on file with the Alabama Ethics Commission reported income from referral fees earned from Britt's firm ranging from 10000 to 50000 between 2014 and 2016 and escalating to between 50000 and 150000 in 2017 and 2018, meaning he could have been paid anywhere between 130 and 450,000. Britt later explained the payments, quote, were from matters that were referred to another firm during the time of their partnership. So he's entitled to his share of those fees, end of quote. Neither Britt nor Norton have detailed which case or cases were refused, referred to or which firm handled the referrals despite multiple requests from Lanyap. So Mr. Brett should be right in the middle of that graph because it looks like there's a lot of money coming out of his office going to Judge Norton, and that's what needs to be explained. Now, when we get into the new article involving the same people, uh, just Mr. Burke with Baldwin County Sewer and Mr. Delaney, Burke and Delaney are implicated in a new civil suit. This again is by Gabe Times. This is uh, June 3rd, uh, now, 2020. Paul, you wrote about this before on the RIP report and called it the swimming pool, right? Correct. I called it the million dollar swimming pool. Million dollar swimming and, How long uh, ago did you write that article? Uh, you know, I really should have looked it up before we started but I would say at least two years. Right. So this, uh, I do remember, pardon me. I said, this has been percolating for a while. Oh yes, yes, yes. This is, this is the uh, Baldwin County Properties Association that filed the lawsuit against the developers and financiers of the subdivision claiming it's more than 200 homeowners were wrongfully encumbered with a $625,000 mortgage on a common lot encompassing their community pool while the developers also carved out a separate common lot for commercial development and failed to credit the proceeds back to the community boy oh boy oh boy skimmed right. it right off the let's top talk about, they got let's talk ahead. about the, the the legal entities involved here so one of the ways that you busted tucker dorsey and proved that he was still working for bowen county sewer service where all these little LLCs he was setting up for places like Bellaton and whatever. So whenever a developer Correct. creates a subdivision, they create an Correct. LLC. The LLC stands in the place of the homeowners association and manages things until there's a critical mass of people that are actually living in there. And then they turn the HOA goes from the LLC to the actual homeowners association, the ownership. So what they're claiming here is, is while it was in the control of this LLC, they completed the improvements on the common lot there out front, which is a big swimming pool and a, I don't know what all's out there, Paul, a, a playground and all in a clubhouse and all this. They then took this out parcel and transferred it back to the developer instead of it being an asset of the homeowners association. And when they turned it over to them, it turns out they turned over $665,000 worth of debt to them on the improvements that were made on the common area. Right. Totally unheard of. Who in the hell would buy a lot 
it comes with a $30,000 liability to pay for the pool house and all that mess. Well, uh, the, uh, now both companies are named as defendants in the case along with the respective managers, uh, Clarence Burke and Delaney, but another development company is AC3 Inc., which is owned by Baldwin County developer, Albert Trey Cordy. And if you go back to the spider graph over in straw man, bingo, you start seeing these same names pop up. Uh, the, uh, pers the, like we said, we, the rip report wrote about this, uh, many years ago. Now this particular case, the complaint lists 12 different causes of action, including declaratory judgment, willful and reckless misrepresentation, fraudulent concealment or suppression of facts, breach of fiduciary duty, unjust enrichment, and conspiracy. The case has been assigned to Baldwin County Circuit Court Judge Jody Bishop, who has already denied separate motions to dismiss the case by Alabama Capital, D.R. Horton, and as of June 2nd, only D.R. Horton has answered the complaint. Uh, now, this all started, like I said, a couple of years ago, Mr. Rick Norman, a former U.S. Coast Guard investigator. He's the same gentleman that I spoke to there uh, a couple of years ago, and I admire their perseverance. It's very hard to get uh, uh, associations, condo associations, or homeowners associations on the same page. So there's quite a bit of due diligence in, in the background to follow up with this and and i'm glad to see that it's come about in the next you know it took them this long to get to court but this is going to be colliding with the straw man case and just uh, uh uh showing all of these same characters in the same place now what i want to read you something and uh reigns I, I want you to listen to this because this is beautiful man this also explains catalyst to a nut Shell. Okay, this is in the um, uh, this is in the same article. Burke Delaney implicated in a new civil case. The complaint alleges the defendants, named and unnamed, quote, form an integral part of an intricate web of multiple concentric layers of companies that are intermingled around and intended, among other things things to conceal the interrelationships among and between and to insulate from liability the defendants Delaney and Burke as the principal actors who have ultimately owned, controlled, managed, or directed the operations and financial transactions of these defendants and non-defendants. That is Exactly. You could take Mr. Delaney's name out and Mr. Burke's name. That is what Catalyst is. That is the most perfect explanation I've seen. Now, according to the affidavit filed in the Alabama Supreme Court in 2017, as part of the separate fraud case widely reported in Lanyap, both Delaney and Burke own 43.5% interest in Baldwin County Sewer. Here we're going back to the other thing. Uh, straw man. At the time, Bellatone was developed. Baldwin County Sewer built itself as Alabama's largest private utility in a federal court filing seeking a claim in the 2010 BP spill. 
you knew they'd be in that chow line. You know, you can just imagine what that claim BP probably paid. And it's service rates and fee fees. This is Baldwin County sewer people. Everybody should be listening to you should be calling your county commission and say this has to change immediately. To date, the it is unregulated. Baldwin County sewer is unregulated by state or local governments. Baldwin County sewer is not a party to the Bellatone lawsuit, but it does provide sewer service to the subdivision and most of the others recently developed around along uh, 181 corridor, including uh, the Jubilee Farms. So, you know, here we go with another lawsuit that's related to the other one. Uh, both of them have uh, Judge Norton in there knee deep and uh, money going back and forth. And I'm going to tell you, I hope everybody is listening because you're going to want to miss the rest of the podcast in June. We know of some other things that are coming up related to this that we can't speak to today. But... This is in your face corruption, just as the McSherry case is. You're being challenged in the McSherry case to believe that all these judges and lawyers made all this mistake and there was no assault, and you're watching the assault in technicolor. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully someone else It'll have to be outside Baldwin County is looking at all of this. Uh, Lanyap, Lanyap needs to be really, really, really commended on their coverage on these issues. And uh, again, I'm forecasting they're coming out with a couple more that are going to send your hair as well. Another reason why, do not forget, June 4th. Jerry Carl, we do not want to vote for anyone, that, a catalyst candidate to go to Congress in Washington. That would be a very sad state of affairs for Baldwin County. And now my blood pressure's up, Harry. I'm willing to hand it over to you. <laughs> I don't know how I follow that. Um, that's, that's a pretty good one. The, the only thing that I would say, the, the, the thing that really boggles my mind on the straw man case, just a post-mortem on it. Um, and if any, if there are any other attorneys out there, please put it in the comments. But um, the duty of loyalty that is owed one member to another uh, of an LLC, I, I just couldn't figure how they ever overcame that uh, legally um, to say that that they that they did nothing wrong by encumbering and that you know not only the fraudulent part of the transaction but encumbering the property with millions of dollars worth of debt without Mr. Bass being aware of it. Right. That that was another just a sliver of the case that always bugged me. Right. And we're fixing to see part three coming up. I can't wait to I've been following this case for a couple of years. And um, you're going to get firsthand knowledge of it on the next podcast for sure. And probably uh, on a rip report even before then. And like I said, let me remind everybody, uh, the rip report didn't go out on Friday just simply because of working overtime on some things. But be sure to catch uh, Stormy Saturday. It'll be out today. And you can follow the straw man thing, which is very intriguing. 
So Reigns, I need a little yes, more sir. input, man. I need to know. I need to know uh, what's going on with you, and uh, you know what what's going. What's the vibe in in Houston? I know there's been a lot of protests. That's that's uh, that's where the victim was from uh, originally. Um, what's going on out there? I'm not going to say that the overwhelming vibe in Houston is positive because that's that's not the right word for this. We the overwhelming vibe in Houston is peaceful. We've had protests every day. We've had marches on the the city hall. We've had marches in different communities. I participated in one yesterday. All of our marches and protests have been completely peaceful. There've been no riots in Houston. And we're the fourth largest city in the country. There've been no riots in this town. There's there've been arrests of course because there are bad actors that are showing up and misbehaving and the Houston Police Department is cracking down on. But we're not rioting here. There's nothing to be afraid of marching in Houston. We yeah. are we are standing up for change. We are pushing for a revolutionary overhaul of the systemic racism that exists in the police departments of this country, in the law enforcement departments of this country. And we're doing it the right way. And one of the leaders of the city that's doing a fantastic job with it is our police chief, Art Acevedo. He's out there walking and he's out there engaging people and he's talking about it. And he's addressing the problems in his department. And he's not just one to sit there and rile up the, the, the red-hatted lunatic base because he's not. He's a Democrat, but good for us, right? And um, <clears throat> it's overwhelmingly peaceful here. And, uh, and, I, and I believe it's going to stay that way because we are speaking words to power. And we are out there walking and we are making our voices heard. And the overwhelming majority of Houstonians are on the right side of this thing. Where I live in the suburbs, there's plenty of these red-headed lunatics out there that are trying to spin it some other way. And uh, a lot of scared suburban housewives who believes that the, the, the Henri Negra from downtown is going up to the suburbs and burn their house down. Well, that's not going to happen. And... Uh, <clears throat> No, I've been impressed with the uh, uh, the police chiefs uh, and policemen that have participated throughout the United States. Well, you know, well, let's say the United States, the world, actually. But um, the memorial under the bridge here in Pensacola that quotes Thomas Jefferson, the care of human life and happiness and, and not their destruction is the first and only object of good government. How simple a statement to cover such a vast thing, you know? Uh, uh, I've read I, all of the Federalist Papers. He was not all that poignant all the time. Well, go pop his balloon, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying it's a beautiful statement, and it's a and it and it is it is timeless. <sighs> Same yes. thing that was true for him back then is true for George Floyd now. What's so hard to understand about that? I, I tell you something that uh, I, I grew up in a military family. My father was a retired colonel. 
first 20 years of my life, I was in essentially in the military. I traveled all over the world and different military bases and everything. So I had a very different perspective on things by the time I moved to the South and I was probably 13. I found the whole racial thing extremely confusing, extremely confusing because I had lived on military bases everywhere. You said, yes, sir, and no, sir, yes, ma'am, to every living soul there was. And you did I mean, in my house too, or you went looking for your damn teeth. Correct. And then, you know, uh, uh, of course, I was in Tuscaloosa at the time, and when the Selma thing was going on, I knew some of the people that were involved there. And, uh, and then in Vietnam, uh, I saw the effect that it had on um, African Americans that, you know, Martin Luther King was assassinated and I was over there at the time and we all lived together underground in bunkers. And if you think there's any difference between you and somebody else, you just spend a little bit of time underground in a bunker living with somebody and you'll find out that you're not that far apart from anyone else. Everyone has the same concerns and fears and etc. So I'm glad to see this come to light. I'm especially proud to see the overwhelming uh, amount of uh, uh, Caucasian and other races involved much, much more so than the civil rights era. Well, so science disproves anything anybody ever said about somebody being superior to somebody else because of the color of their skin, number one. Number two, for anything to change, this hero worship of law enforcement has got to stop. You heard it here first, folks. Number, so, so, I've been fighting this push to put cops into schools since the early 2000s. I think the school resource officer program is a joke. I th you know, if you, if you got a school where you need cops to keep the kids safe, I mean, you got bigger problems. You got big time problems. Um, but I didn't see the cop at any school. Creating, and, you're, and you're creating, uh, Right, and you're creating much, much more a problem than you are doing anything else when you train police officers in a military style. You want to go in the military. And, that, the and military. that's the next you point, Paul. No more militarization of the police. They do not need, you know, and we talked about this a few weeks ago or a few months ago. Here first. AR-15s right. for the Baymanette Police Department. We said, what in the shit do they need AR-15s for? If there's, you know... If you can't hold out with a sidearm if somebody's robbing Regions Bank until the SWAT team gets there, I mean, why does everybody need a, an AR? That's for killing people. That's not for defending people. That that's to, that's that's a military weapon designed to take on several people. I took a I took a tour of the Ocean Springs, Mississippi Police Department, the main police station. At, well, I mean, it was the only police station. When I was in about fifth grade, and I remember walking through the, you know, just kind of being in awe of this law enforcement spectacle that I was able to to tour. And I mean, this was a, a police municipal services building that was about the size of an Ace Hardware and a little three cell jail and a dispatch room. And a, they had a detective's bullpen that was four desks. 
And the chief's office, the assistant chief didn't even have an office. He basically set up shop in the break room. And I remember vividly there was a locker just outside of the just outside of the glass in the dispatch room. And somebody said, well, what's a locker? And they opened it up for us. The police chief opened it up for us. And it was uh, it was 12, 12 gauge shotguns lined up. And the kids, you know, we're kids. We're like, oh, wow, look at that. And he said, what's that for? That's for when things get really out of hand. And that was it. That was all my city police department had. And that was in 1984. Nine, eight, okay, 84. You know, and that was what my little police department said, now this is really for when the shit hits the fan. And I had a couple 12 gauge shotguns in there. That town has grown and we have a municipal, a new police building and everything else. And I still to this day do not believe. I still to this day believe that there are few problems in ocean Springs, Mississippi that can't be solved with a locker full of shotguns. There don't, need to be right. tactical weapons there doesn't need to be tactical gear the police are not the military even the greatest tyrants of our time know that the police are not the military i'm not going to invoke a lot of historical blowback or anything but if you look at people the, the the great authoritarians of our time you'll notice that they kept the police separate from the military there's a reason for that we're the first world country that seeks to have our police and the military on the sta same standing. And that is a fundamental failure of this society. And that's one of the things we're marching against. Right. So guys, I got something I need to talk right. about real quick. Um, this week, um, Moody police Sergeant Stephen Williams gave his life in the line of duty to his community in Moody, Alabama. Um, I knew Sergeant Williams. We worked together for the city of Alabaster. And uh, I want to extend my condolences to his family. And um, these are the kind of people that we need to be paying respect to. Yep. Right. And I hope that, uh, I hope the people listening to the podcast are listening to our criticism because all three of us are very pro police. So don't get, this thing going sideways that we're trying to be anti-police. We're not. Police are uh, a necessary fabric of our communities. But uh, I think that we have strayed off course from what the community police force is into yes. uh, this military type thing. And also having immunity is if you, if you, if there's a bunch of children and you have no discipline with those children, you never discipline those children, then they're going to take advantage of you. If you're a police officer and you're told, hey, don't worry about it, man, you got immunity, anything can happen. But, you know, in the long run, it's not going to happen to you. That's that's not healthy. That is not healthy. You should be responsible on your job. You take somebody's life uh, in the way this man lost his life, you'd be you need to be accountable for that. You just can't do that. And also, also podcasts and camera phones are changing a lot of things. Harry, you're not about to read the Auburn Creed, are you? I'm not going to read the Auburn Creed, but I thought I would. <laughs> I, I think it's a. I think it's a good. I think everyone should read it, and it shouldn't just be the Auburn Creed. It should be. Uh, it's a damn good way to live your life. 
So, in defense of my military style headgear, uh, this is a non-military uh, camouflage pattern that just happens to match my hunting shotgun. All right. Um, oh, we won't see you or the gun in the woods. Well, the ducks won't. <laughs> the ducks won't. You won't see him in the woods. Period, Paul. He's a blind hunter. <laughs> I can. And so, uh, all my work, all that clay I dug, this is what I got to show for it. It's the only one that didn't explode. My little. <laughs> What's all that shit hanging off the bottom of it? Uh, so you put it in a, uh, you put a cheesecloth on the bottom. Oh. So you can pick it up and so, I you got know, you. try to, if point of contact, it's, too much pressure and it'll that's the nicest damn um, ashtray i've seen man that looks good oh your ashtray coming <laughs> yeah I, I made you a fine one but it's not ready it's not ready for presentation so uh, i it's it's as uh practical as anything anybody else did with their time during the all this pandemic bs and and finally my god people there is a pandemic on Put your mask on. Wash your hands. I mean, people around here just acting like it's it's over with and that it was bullshit to begin with. Except for the 100,000 people that have died. We have been amazingly lucky, and that's due to the fact that uh, of density, you know, and uh, we're just lucky, very, very lucky. I hope it continues that way, but... I don't think by any matter of the means that we are anywhere remotely out of the woods on this. All right, Harry, what else? I'm done, boys. That's a wrap. Okay, well, one thing I want to say before we go off the air is uh, any of you that have been following us, uh, we can absolutely guarantee you the rest of the month is going to get pretty exciting. So, uh We'll be back and see you later. Check out the RIP Report, Baldwin County Legal Eagle, and, of course, Backstory Podcast. And if you've got any, any tips to the Ripster, just give me a buzz. So, Reigns, we've already talked about this. The greatest movie I've seen in the last five years, The Gentleman, the Guy Ritchie film. That yes, thing, I mean, if, if you haven't you seen it, you're sitting around the house this weekend with nothing to do, rent that one. It's a winner. All right, boys, I certainly appreciate your time, and uh, we will see everybody on the flip side. Good deal. I had time to deal with these people and meet these people and talk to these people, yet we've treated them poorly, which I think is I find offensive and I take personally. I'm not going to be your policeman. There's a reason why you separate military and the police. One fights the enemy of the state. The other serves and protects the people. When the military becomes both, then the enemies of the state tend to become the people. I read something uh, one time and it stated that in the South, he was looked at as a hero. And when you have any time of crisis, you're, you're people always looking for someone that they could look up to. The feats that Sims did on the high seas, he captured the imagination of people in England, France, everywhere.
and people were constantly writing about him. But now, if you were from up north, you hated him. And just like anybody, you're going to label him, if you hate him, the lowest names that you can think of, which they did. Raphael Sims was an individual who moved uh, to this part of uh, the United States when his uh, service in the Navy started winding down in between wars. After the war with Mexico, he came to this area and uh, he was still in the Navy, but he taught himself uh, to be a lawyer. And in the year uh, 1861, when the hostilities appeared to be evident between the North and South, Raphael Sims resigned his commission with the United States Navy and he traveled to Montgomery, Alabama and offered his services to Jefferson Davis to be part of the Confederate Navy, which did not exist. Jefferson Davis uh, gave him a couple of odd chores. One was to actually travel to New York by train. And once he was up in New York by train, he was given uh, orders to buy munitions and armaments for the South, which he did do. And he traveled back to this part of the, the country with the arms and armament. When he got back to Montgomery, he started uh, lobbying Jefferson Davis and his cabinet to take an approach to deal with the United States that if they do produce a blockade, he had an idea of a way to break that blockade. And he said that if they use commerce raiders, the commerce raiders would disrupt the United States merchant marine uh, activity. It would cause insurance rates to increase, especially from Lloyd's of London. If the insurance rates start going up, then he was thinking that the merchants in the Northeast would start pressuring the United States government to end any type of hostilities that may develop between the United States and the South. Well, the other part of his plan too was to weaken the blockade so the supplies could get into the southern ports. His thoughts were that if he had a commerce raider or if there were a fleet of commerce raiders, a poor man's fleet if you will, then uh, the United States would be forced to withdraw or pull back ships that they had blockading ports. After he convinced uh, Jefferson Davis and his staff to allow him to develop this commerce raiding idea, he traveled to New Orleans looking for any type of ship that could be easily converted. And he found an old mailer that used to go back and forth from the southern states to Cuba, and he converted that ship. Well, at this particular time period, New Orleans was blockaded. So Sims waited and bided his time, and when the right moment occurred, heavy uh, fog and so forth, he slipped out right past the blockade and started doing his raiding. And within a couple of weeks, he had already stopped and destroyed 16 uh, ships that were licensed to the United States uh, government. Uh, he went on with that ship for a few more months until it started, like any boat, getting a little afoul from weather and everything else. And he eventually uh, was trapped, if you will, at Gibraltar by a couple of Union warships that were trying to catch him. Well, in Gibraltar, he couldn't fight the Union warships, so what he decided to do was just simply sell the Sumter and he and his officers started proceeding back to the south. Well, en route to the south, 
he was notified that a new ship had been built. And when Sims arrived, that's when all the armaments were put on board the Alabama. And then Sims did something that helped uh, a group of us in Mobile prove that the Alabama wasn't a pirate ship nor a privateer. He commissioned the Alabama a warship in the Confederate States of America. And we have copies of that document there in Washington, D.C. When we proved to the United States government that it was not a privateer or warship, the State Department agreed to help us in acquiring the title to the ship for the United States. And that's what we did. Sims took the Alabama from there and went on a two-year cruise. He boarded over 400 ships. He stopped them at sea and he was checking their papers. And what he was trying to find out if the ship was neutral, if the cargo was neutral. If so, he just allowed it to pass. But if the ship was registered to the United States or if the cargo could be considered contraband for the United States, he would take the cargo and he would destroy the ship or burn the cargo and the ship. But one of the things he did, he made sure that no one was ever harmed, no one. After two years of being on the high seas and just putting into ports that uh, are fairly uh, favorable to the South, the Alabama's gonna need some major repair. And what Sims tried not to do was to get blockaded into a port like he did with the Sumter, but his options were very limited. If he went back to England, his ship would be taken over by the English government. So he went to France and he went to France because France still had uh, some signs that they were favorable to the South. But the leader of France at the time period when the Alabama pulled into port wanted nothing to do with this because it was 1864. In 1864, Gettysburg had already taken place. Uh, if you will, the Mississippi River was already conquered. Uh, things were not good for the South and he didn't need this political problem at his doorstep. And when Sims pulled into port, the American consul there sent out a message, any ship, U.S. warship in the vicinity, come down to Cherbourg, blockade the Alabama. Well, Winslow happened to be up in the area of what we now call the Netherlands, and he steamed down towards Cherbourg. He pulled into the harbor, which was against the laws of the time period. You couldn't have two belligerent ships in the same harbor. And since the Alabama was there first, the only thing Winslow could do, he had to leave or the French Navy would destroy his ship. So Sims challenged, sent in a letter to Winslow and basically paraphrasing it said, sir, if you kindly wait until Sunday, the 19th, I will gladly come out and engage you. Word spread all over Europe. People were coming from Paris by train. People were coming from England by yachts. People wanted to see this thing. Sims pulls out of the dock area, and after about an hour's time, the Alabama is sinking. Alabama was no match for the Kurosawa's guns. As I grew older and learned more about the man, uh, through teaching, I started thinking, wouldn't it be interesting, wouldn't it be fascinating if we could really really find the ship 
and recover items from that ship that deal with the man in this room. There's a ship's bell, and some people say the bell is the heart of the ship. We have the heart, but the heartbeat of the ship was Raphael Sims. Now behind me is a cannon that came off the Alabama. When we recovered this cannon, uh, it's stayed in this solution for some time. Well, one of the real good friends of mine at the lab contacted me and he said, uh, we have a problem. He said, as we were removing some of this encrustation around the barrel, we discovered the remains of a crewman. We have to stop. So I traveled to Washington. I talked to the powers there and we worked on an agreement that if once they've gotten through studying the remains, trying to identify the remains which were sent to Hawaii, we in Mobile would like to do a proper burial for the, the remains here in Mobile. So about five years ago, we had an 1860s funeral for this crewman. When the war was over and Sims came back to Mobile with his family, uh, Sims was elected as a judge here, but the United States government refused to allow him to take the position. He practiced the little law, but the United States tried to stop him from doing that as well. So he started teaching and lecturing. He taught a little bit at LSU, and then he came back and started teaching in this area and also uh, speaking. And when he died, uh, the people here mourned heavily for him. He's respected in this area. People who know history respect him a great deal.